Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm really eager to introduce you to today's guest because she is someone that I have known for um, around, gosh, over 15 years ago now that we first met when we got to work together. So this is going to be a really fun conversation. And we're practicing what it looks like to be resilient because we had some technology fails, but we are moving along. And today I'd love to introduce you to Roxanne Durhaj, who is a registered psychotherapist, corporate consultant, keynote speaker, trainer, coach, and author. She helps leaders develop a keen sense of their resilience, developing stronger relationships and tapping into their authentic leadership style. Her new book, which is launching on May the 12th, is called Return on Relationships. Amplify your authentic leadership to create more resilient teams. Welcome to the show, Roxanne. Well, thanks for having me, Kristen. It's so nice to just hang out with my friend again. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Roxanne and I are also both part of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers together. We joined it around the same time. And like I said, we had the opportunity to work together uh, when we were both at Chappelle FGI. Roxanne was there for a lot longer than I was, but I have to say the relationships that I built only being there for a year and a half. It's like, I'm still friends with all these people. It just shows the power of really building strong, meaningful relationships in our workplaces. Absolutely. And likewise with me, I'm still connected to every, I was there for 10 years and uh, you know, it's hard to believe that you were only there a year and a half. It felt like it was a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so many like-minded people came together, shared values. And I think what, what I actually experienced, and this is very aligned with what we're talking about today, is people who are really authentic and shared and were vulnerable and um, felt all of the emotions and shared them all together. And I think because of that, it really created some strong bonds. For sure. Absolutely agree with you. So Roxanne, I always like to give our audience an opportunity to learn a bit more about your story, your journey, what got you to where you are now. And you can start Roxanne, who was two years old, you can start <laughs> high school, you can start wherever you want some of those poignant moments on your journey. Well, I'm a Caribbean girl born in Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, I would say that uh, when I reflect on the space that I am today, that uh, connection and authenticity that was something that uh, culture wise and community wise I grew up in a little village um, where everybody was still connected and everybody you know anybody that's from the Caribbean they would relate everybody's auntie or uncle and you're already connected running around you know you know you guys play catch and stuff out here and and build forts and in the Caribbean you're running between uh, the cane fields and and kind of jumping in and out of ponds with um, in between the gullies uh, where the water kind of collected so I have those uh, beautiful memories of community. So, and uh, quite young, I think I really 
loved connecting to others. And I went to an all girl Caribbean school um, called Naparima Girls. And we would sit under the tamarind tree. And this is a, the biggest things. And, you know, 11, 12 year old girls. And we would talk. And I, I remember remembering that space and thinking, wouldn't that be kind of nice to like do that for a living? That being said, in a traditional Caribbean culture, there was nothing like that. It was doctor, lawyer, engineer, um, teacher kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I kind of started to reflect on that. And to put it bluntly, or supposedly school counsel, it was abysmal at best. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I could do that. And that's kind of where the birth of me wanting to help others to have a voice started and uh, went to school after that, came to Canada when I was 16 to go to U of T and became a psychotherapist, actually quite young. At 21, I, I was um, kind of working frontline. Wow. Wow. 21. Wow. It's, but I, you know, it, it's funny because I would always describe you rocks as having a, a, an old soul. Like I feel like 21 year old, you 16 year old, you already had so much wisdom that a lot of people took another 10, 15, 20 years to mature into. <laughs> Well, you know what? You don't know that. And now that I reflect back and I think about me working with corporations and working with people, people are people. Rather, my very first job, uh, Kristen, was with the Metro Toronto Police, where I was responding to victims of crime and, you know, and, and really kind of seeing people at, at the most vulnerable uh, really gave me an insight into what it really was to be available and present for people. And sometimes it's nothing other than being in the physical presence of those individuals and having that space to say, I'm here without even words. So I think it was such a great opening, me being quite young, uh, thinking I'm knowing what I'm doing, but really going by that gut instinct about what it was to be human and to meet someone when they really were in need. Um, and, you know, when you look at what the kind of work that you and I do today um, around emotional intelligence and authenticity, it's really about being able to read the space you're in and accommodating or um, accentuating what someone needs to hear from deep within themselves and you being the, what I see, almost like the vein to facilitate that space. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you what I'm, I'm really interested to start off with understanding a little bit in terms of the patterns that you would see in your psychotherapy practice, and then now how that's also translating to what you're seeing in organizations. Um, because I think what you and I both agree is it really always does start with the self, like it starts with that self leadership first. And until you do that work, and go more on your journey and understand who you are, and why you're showing up the way you're showing up in those patterns, they can mm -hmm. sometimes be working for or against you, um, then you're going to keep on repeating them, right? The cycle repeats over and over again. So I'm curious, starting from the psychotherapy uh, practice perspective, because you had the opportunity to meet with lots of different individuals. And while you might've been doing that in private practice, those individuals are all working within workplaces as well. And so they're whole people. And so it's all connected. What were some of the um, patterns that you were seeing consistently when it came to the relationship piece? I think people are people and we bring ourselves with us regardless of where we, we, we go. Right. And I was just doing a coaching session and it was with the CEO and his perception. And that's how we saw it was, you know, I'm work guy and I'm home guy, except, you know, and not really understanding that the essence of who he is, is, you know, the overall person, because, you know, and I, I think of myself or, or us, when we worked together, there was also still that perception in the field that you had work persona and, and personal persona. I think what happens is that we bring um, ourselves to work with us. And when there are, 
I'm going to say block patterns of behavior, there was a beginning at some point in our life, wherever that kind of um, inception of those patterns began. And what happens is we all get triggered. So, you know, whether it's at home with our children or with our partner or with our bosses or with our teams or with our kind of strategic um, different levels of the organization, it's kind of looking at yourself and saying, why am I having this like this huge reaction to this interaction with someone, say, on my team. And what I find is that we all have that. And, you know, um, <laughs> we all, some of us think that we can override it. But in fact, when we start to quiet and, and listen deep down inside, uh, we can listen to kind of that, what I call it is the core blocking beliefs or patterns that developed within us at some particular point in our lives. When you start to kind of, um, you know, drop your guard and listen to, you know, why is it that I find someone saying, you know, that's quite microscopic, for, for instance, that maybe they kind of grate me a bit more. It may be just because they process information maybe differently. That could be one thing. But then it could be that maybe I had a teacher uh, potentially that maybe criticized me a bit more, or maybe the last um, director that I had was like that with me. So once I think you start to look at those patterns and say, okay, where did it start? Was, what was the story around it? And how does it perpetuate in my present situation? Then you can kind of start to unblock it. And if it's around goals within the organization that you're working on, and let's say you're getting feedback, constructive feedback, <laughs> it's how is it that I'm going to look at myself and say, all right, I need to be objective about this because it's blocking my path. And what, what is it that I'm going to do with the feedback and to distance and to say, okay, right now I'm a little bit maybe too attached to what I'm hearing. So I need to create a bit of distance and then go back with the constructive feedback to get maybe feedback from maybe another person on that team about how I come across. So I, I think with relationships, we all have patterns and none of us are void, devoid of patterns. It's looking at them and understanding what is it that we need um, to do to de um, untangle some patterns that are not working in our best interests. And if there's patterns that were really um, good at recognizing well ahead of time, good for you. But sometimes there's those, those niggly ones that kind of take you out of the knees and you're not really sure where they came from. Those are the ones that I think sometimes are, are the best teachers for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really speaks to why it's so important to have a trusted individual to work through because you can't necessarily ask yourself the same questions and you can have sometimes tunnel vision. Whereas when somebody else in a safe space is asking you questions from a place of curiosity, from a place of championing you, then it starts to become safer to actually investigate and ask yourself why you might be doing some of the things that you're doing. And um, it's funny when you say that around the triggers, right? Cause I, I hear this all the time where like, I don't want my nervous system to do that anymore. And I want to get to a point where that never happens. I'm like, oh, so you want to be dead? Like to be human, <laughs> you're going to be triggered. It's like, don't yeah. think of it as this bad thing. I actually think of, I actually see there's positives that come with triggers to, to me, to be quite honest, because every time you're being triggered it's an opportunity for growth, right? It's an opportunity to reflect. And I'm also being very cognizant and, and conscious. As I say that I'm not talking about people who have had severe trauma. Of course, I, I, if I could take away those triggers for people, but I'm talking about more when there are triggers that are related to, you know, that person might remind you to use your example, Rox, Roxanne, that that person might be triggering 
you know, back in the day when a teacher said something was very critical, that same person now criticizing is now bringing up those emotions in you. And then taking a step back is where you now get to have that opportunity, like, okay, instead of reacting and continuing that pattern, I can become conscious of it and find different ways of dealing with it. I think the other piece that's so important that a lot of people don't recognize around triggers is also like, what's a, what type of coping mechanisms can you create for yourself when the triggers are going to happen? Cause I can guarantee you the triggers are going to happen, but how do you work through when they're showing up? Right. And, and, you know, um, when you look like, I think of this last coaching session that I just did, and it's kind of, um, you know, when you're stressed and you're depleted, you're, you're more reactive. And when you're in flow and within that window of tolerance or that relaxed state, you're able to, to kind of put the gap between yourself and what's occurring. But that being said, with stressful times, if you're not able to recognize some of those key early signs, not late signs, which I think as most human beings were like, oh, I'm quite aware that you know my head's spinny or my thoughts are gray, that's kind of late stage. And, and sometimes it takes a bit of education about saying, you know, wow, I, I realize I do leave it a bit too late, or I might be using some things that, you know, might be maladaptive in reference to my coping mechanisms, but I've always kind of done that. And I've already never been challenged in a way to say, okay, well, where did it start? Did it help? Absolutely. It worked for me in a, in a time period, but now it's no longer working at me. So I think it's, Going back to your point, um, when you are in a space with um, a coach or someone that's in um, a supervisory or management level with you, if there is safety, there's ability to take that, that feedback constructively and say, okay, well, I can see that. However, if you're in a stress state, you're more likely to be more, um, you know, we all have that little pink bubble that we all live in in our own worlds and we interpret it in a different lens versus when you get that objective lens that's maybe safe that says to someone, maybe, you know, you need to maybe consider it this way. Then people start to kind of, um, you know, look at things and recognize what kind of things might be standing in their way of growth be it, um, you know, in a team or if they're trying to go up uh, to a different level in an organization or if they're working on a project, but they seem to be kind of not getting some of the quality projects that they're wanting. These are the things that I think can be most valuable with um, with having those objective, safe conversations and looking at things um, through that lens. Yeah. And I think with what you're saying too, it reminds me of sometimes even in that moment, you don't actually have to get into the conversation around the feedback, right? You can just say, thank you for giving me the feedback. I appreciate that. I'm going to take some time to think about it and that's it. And then you can take some time to process it because there is some digesting it and being able to get away from it and be in a place where you feel a bit more grounded and centered and you can think through um, what they're saying. Um, so important. And do you have recommendations for, I, I, I describe this a lot with my kids, but I actually describe this with adults as well when it's green, yellow, red. And so if we can catch those times where it's like green, getting into yellow before with my son, we talk about when he's in the red zone, we want to get more when he's green, moving into the yellow zone. But I actually find, I talk, use this with adults and they actually like it a lot too. So are there some things that people can be aware of? And I know for each of us, it's going to be a bit different, but some common themes when people might be moving into the green and yellow to be watching for before they get already into the red zone. Well, I think uh, backing up even before that is to understand um, kind of your tolerance for stress. Obviously, like, um, you know, we know we all need positive stress to attain goals, but 
short-term stress is, you know, all of us can basically um, deal with, but it's the long-term stressors uh, that basically uh, we need to be aware of. So what I talk a lot about with my clients is uh, basically um, knowing your window of tolerance for stress. So window of tolerance is, let's say, it's a neuroscience of the fancy word for your relaxed state. So really understanding um, when is it, when I'm relaxed, and first of all, starting that conversation to say, how do you know you're relaxed? What's the, what, what's your thinking light or what is kind of your pervasive thoughts? What is generally some of the feelings that you're experiencing and how do you experience your body? And oftentimes, uh, Kristen, a lot of people are not able to say or, or share how they experience their body when they're really, really relaxed. And then I go to the counter side of it and say, okay, so if your first sign is, um, boy, I have a lot to do, <laughs> might be the first thought to, I've been repeatedly thinking of every project I have on the go um, and every microscopic detail of what's associated with that, um, with that project. I just challenge people to kind of go and say, okay, that's a little bit of a late, later stage potentially. So why don't you, can you move it up a little bit earlier? So I challenge them to think about, well, it's when my shoulders are starting to get rock hard. I might say, okay, well, you know, um, well, I, I find that um, I feel a little bit of a tingling in my hands or, um, you know, or an emotion might be, hmm, I'm a little bit put off today by um, that interaction that I had versus I'm perturbed by it. So I think when you start to kind of look at it from that um, space, from the neuroscience perspective, some of us get frozen when we get stressed. Some of us get hyper, kind of where do you fit? And um, I just kind of talk a little bit about that. And then people are oftentimes starting to recognize patterns within themselves and, uh, you know, have them start to look at that and start to kind of track that so that they can look at where they are, how they interact and wh what they do when they are really relaxed versus when they're stressed. Yeah. And for everybody listening, this is an opportunity for you. The challenge is to be spending more time throughout your day. And just even if you were like every hour, just stop for a second and just check in with your body and notice the sensations. My experience through working with a lot of leaders is they're not tapping into all of the intellect in their body. Our body's very good at getting our attention, but they're too busy plowing through or up here, neck up, up in the head and not noticing what's happening, the, some of the physical symptoms that are actually trying to get their attention. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, a lot of times when people are driven, they're stuck into the tactical mode. And I do something fun, uh, Kristen. I, I say to people, okay, do you have a favorite song? And they go, yeah. I go, okay, you have a phone, right? And they go, yeah, I do. I said, okay, well, how about we do a little bit of an alarm, right? And you tell me um, potentially three things, three visuals of, of something that you value. And oftentimes it's the dog, <laughs> you know, the motorcycle or a partner, something like that. And do you have, you know, I want you then to maybe on your uh, desktop, on your phone, just put three of those pictures, root it to the favorite song 
that's going to go off and there's an alarm. And what that does is it just brings you back to the present about why you're doing what you're doing uh, versus it being set work self and, 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 and personal self, because we all have a who, what, when, and why that we do all the things that we do in a day. Um, and then it could be a, a silly, you know, picture of maybe your kids at the pool with your new pool. And then it, it just brings you back into the moment because most times tactically driven high level individuals don't come down into their body and your body stores all the information that's necessary to really kind of recalibrate where you kind of need to go so that at the end of the day, you're not completely de uh, depleted. By doing these little uh, bumps, like I call them, you're replenishing so that at the end of the day, you have um, something left to enjoy the things that are really um, that you're doing all these things for. So good. I love that exercise. And it does put things into perspective, right? Because sometimes people can get so invested in what's going on that they forget about the meaning and purpose behind all of it. Um, when we start to think about organizations, I know you and I are super, super, super aligned and passionate about this piece when it comes to humanizing work and creating environments where people can do the best work and where they're engaged. And instead of seeing things like presenteeism, of course, turnover, all of that, that are a result of that not happening. When you think about your model of authentic leadership that you shared in your book, and I, again, I highly recommend the book um, that Roxanne has written that's launching soon um, because it goes into lots of different places to explain what it looks like to create these types of workplaces. Um, but specifically, when we think about authentic leadership, how would you describe authentic leadership? And what does that model look like when we start to think, I know on the left-hand side, it's not authentic. And then we move our way towards the right and get to that place where there's more authentic leadership. I think of authentic um, leadership um, and it's, I, uh, my kind of model is based on what I call the heartbeat model of leadership, which is attunement of your heart in reference to how you lead. So I often say an authentically heart-based leader is able to recognize who they are, stay consistently grounded and present to what they value and that their actions are in alignment with their behaviors on an ongoing basis. So if, if an authentic heart-based leader is able to do that, what they do is they're constantly um, using themselves as the anchor and they're going within themselves to recognize, okay, what's the shared vision here for the organization? Um, how am I expressing what I value in my leadership story to others around us, around me? And if I'm stressed, how do I react um, to ensure that people are aware that um, I'm also human. <laughs> um, I might be, you know, periodically I'm down going down that detour, but I, I'm able to, to, to come back if I make a mistake or if I'm, um, you know, um, making a decision that they don't understand, that there's transparency, there's safety. They're able to approach me and say, hey, Roxanne, hey, Kristen, uh, you know, I'm not getting where this kind of fits in the overall vision. Help me understand, did I miss a step here? Because what you, what you, what that authentic heart-based leader does not want um, those around them to believe is that they're acting outside of integrity. And the, the level of awareness that I talk about is obviously things that's out there in the research, awareness of self. Awareness of self impacts um, awareness to others and um, who surrounds you. And then ultimately that get, gets um, kind of inbred into your mission, your vision, your, your strategic planning. So if it's, as we know, with, um, you know, strategic leadership, it starts at the top. Um, if you're leading from that space, everything is going to pour down from you. But it's 
you know, how is the leader communicating? How are they dealing with their biases? How are they connecting? How are they communicating? And how are they recognizing all the others around them? And those are the five areas that I talk about in the book. Um, from my personal experience, from working with um, individuals, working with uh, different executives or also with teams, um, and then I've developed, like I said, the heartbeat model, which is my own model of all those things that leaders go through. So the leaders assess where are they. Okay, so that's one perception. And as we know, at times we can be a bit skewed. But then how is it that others perceive us? And then we collate that information to really get um, a snapshot of where the leader is. But in true, true reality, what is the subjective reality along the, with the objective reality? And then synthesize kind of a plan that the leader needs to maybe uh, keep abreast as they go through um, in their training and development. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of 360s um, for a variety of reasons to get multiple feedback from different individuals, because the whole thing around leadership is you're constantly adapting because I, I think of a leader that we um, just recently did a 360 for. And it was interesting because we had some leaders saying um, uh, too assertive, like you need to hold back on the assertiveness and then others saying you need to be more assertive and then others saying, do exactly what you're doing. Don't change it. And again, it's such a great example of you're right, because what's going to happen is somebody, the way they're experiencing that individual and their personality, it does feel too assertive where somebody else is like in their personality. Well, I feel like you should be speaking up more. And so it's taking that all, um, taking that all into perspective and then shifting and, and making changes, um, when possible. But the other thing that I noticed, and I'm curious around your experience, Roxanne, and, and with this leader, this was her experience is she actually had everybody rating her a lot higher then she was rating herself and really recognizing from a self-regard perspective and the language of the emotional intelligence assessment I use that she really, really, really high expectations on herself to her detriment, right? In ways that she doesn't necessarily recognize and acknowledge all of her progress and all the wins and celebrating so many of the things that she's doing well. It's kind of like I think about even as a speaker, right? They can get all this feedback from so many people <laughs> and just one person, the porcupine has <laughs> negative things to say, and they'll spend all their time and energy focus on that one porcupine. Meanwhile, everyone else was saying it was an amazing, experience. So I think it's really interesting. So what are your thoughts around um, your around 360s and the value in using that? I think that's a good example of, of you know, how somebody could be doing so well, but um, there's elements that that leader again needs to look at and say, what are some of the really, really fundamental um, deep messages that really stops her from sitting and relishing in her, in her um, accomplishments? What is it that is difficult for her to, um, because she is more of a goal-oriented um, person um, that's so driven on the end point, she's not seeing all these phenomenal process goals that she's achieved all along, right? So I think that's a that's a growth area that she should be looking at. And I think it's it's phenomenal because what what a 360 does is it quite literally means that you're looking at it from every angle, right? So if you have people that are a lot aligned with you, there's they're probably aligned with you because they're a lot like your personality. What about the people that are diametrically opposed from you in personality? Um, and um, you know, you could be triggering people based on an approach 
because you're not hitting a different approach um, with individuals. So I think the 360 gives you an overall perspective along with looking at your own to say, okay, uh, I, wow, that's, that's impressive. I never thought of it from that perspective. And it's like with any goal, um, you know, it's not just what's important to you, but it's also what's important to everybody else. And as a leader, we know that you have to, you know, kind of address all the concerns of who you're dealing with. Ultimately, nobody's perfect, but you're going to try to make sure that you address all the core concerns to maximize your capacity to lead as effectively as possible. You're not going to make everybody happy all the time. That's not what leading is, but you're at least going to garner the respect that said somebody says you're trustworthy, you're transparent, and you act in integrity and your words and actions match. And I think if you can achieve that goal as a leader, you've done optimally what is good and you might be able to uh, get, get a lot more of those Uh, pieces of information from a 360. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes even I think it's like you said, leaders are human, like everybody else. And even when someone gives a feedback, say, you know, thank you for this feedback, I'm really taking it to heart. And I'd love for you to let me know, like, I'm going to work on XYZ. Can you tell me how I'm doing? And if there's times where you'd like me to do more of or less of what works better for you, um, being very transparent and open that way, because what again, what, what was working so well for somebody else and what that person would want to receive, right? I remember when someone's talking about like, why do we need to talk about personal life at work? Like, who cares? I'm there to do my job. I'm like, that's cool for you. That's I, what I hear is it's not something that you need a lot at work as someone who's incredibly introverted. And that's great. Like, that's fine. But you have a whole bunch of other people who are not necessarily <laughs> like that. And so they want to feel like you want to get to know them and they want to feel that connection. And ultimately, I would say it doesn't matter if we're using introvert or extrovert. We're all wired for human connection. We all want to feel like we're seen, heard and matter. And, you know, one of these, uh, the areas that I talk about is recognition, and that's an interesting one, right? Because some leaders may not need certain recognitions in certain way. They may not need the kudos or whatever, but there's different parts of their team do. Or some people say, just leave me alone. Give me the new project. I know I'm being recognized. And when you look at it from your perspective and say, what is, how is it that I want to be recognized? Okay, I'm different from maybe, you know, 20% of my, my team. How am I ensuring that they get what they need to feel like they're valued? So I think looking at those, and I was often shocked to somebody says, I never thought about it like that. Like, you know, we know they did a good job. The project is done. It's successful, all those things. But, you know, it it could be that, you know, you need to be able to extend out to someone who doesn't want the attention in a meeting to say, by the way, Kristen, wow, what a fantastic job, because that's not your personality but an email, you know, to that person individual to say, you know, I recognize you did this and this and this well, and I just want to let you know how proud you are, I am of you, and what a valuable part of the team is. You may not know that until you kind of drill down further to know who your people are, and how is it that they need to be validated. And again, that's one of the things that um, with, you know, with uh, uh, EQ and emotional intelligence, uh, as a leader, you're wanting to understand people on an ongoing basis and and what is it that you may be missing, right? Because you can't get all this information all the time through dialogue. Sometimes it takes other kinds of assessments to be able to to validate what you're thinking or what you're experiencing or why is it that my team says they're awfully um, happy but there's a couple of people are going off and starting, you know, leaving and not telling us why they're leaving. So that gives you a lot of information. Yeah, yeah, exactly, absolutely. 
So when you think about organizations and what they can be doing more of, because you and I, we're both on the same page. This authentic leadership is, um, it, it has a huge return on investment for the organization. Um, but some organizations are not doing this yet. So what do you think the opportunities, what would you like to see more of happening in organizations in order to usher in more of this authentic leadership? Well, I think you, um, Look, taking a pulse, I think um, you may be hitting your targets, but what's the, what's the litmus test of what you're experiencing um, with your different business units or your different teams? Um, is it that you are getting the true information about what's really going on? And how are you collecting it? Is it anonymous? Is it town halls? Is it get-togethers on a Friday? You know, um, are, you, are you finding that there's a different experience when you enter the room versus not? And sometimes you're so high up. And I, I heard a story the other day um, that, you know, a pretty big firm brought in um, a consultant to, to, you know, find out what was not going well. And everybody at the senior leadership table said everything was phenomenal because they didn't have it in them to tell the leader what they needed different. So you don't want to be that kind of leader. Um, so I think trying to be, if you've not been transparent and I'm not suggesting you, you're, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're full out in that you want people to get to know who you are, right? Meaning they need to know certain things about you. They need to know, um, you know, maybe I've led in a very autocratic way in the past, but I want to be a bit more transparent. And I'm going to ask for areas, which takes a lot of vulnerability that I can get better at. So it's starting to try to ask for feedback, say to people, um, you know, we're realizing that we've been through, let's say use the last two years, Kristen, that, um, people are now, you know, using their feet and working where they working within their values. And I want to make sure that where you are in values alignment as a company with what to what you need um, and start trying to have those conversations, even if you start with littler teams um, to ask them, how are things going? Even if your ROI is right on track, how is it that you're are you liking your job? Are we giving you what you need um, and starting to build from there? I'm not suggesting you do a, a company-wide um, East, East to West Coast meeting that's going to deliver this. You're going to scare a lot of people, but to start in small incremental bits and see what kind of changes people are needing and, um, and then slowly start to make um, changes. And if you have people that are role models, talk to them and ask them you know, what's working well, what kind of things did they implement and use those people as cross pollinators within your environment to start to build a bit at a time um, and start to build a vision a bit at a time. But you have to also clear out if there's been dissensions or, or uh, issues um, in the company. You can't just all of a sudden say, I'm going to, you know, change your culture to authentic heart leadership. And you've had all these, you know, people kind of left at the suicide, but to slowly do it and start to, to start have to start to have small conversations and bite off a bit at a time and know that it's going to take time and it's at times going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's really realistic. I think we live in this Amazon Prime instant gratification that we get everything within the same day or the next day. And we know behavior change culture change, culture transformation, all of that doesn't happen over overnight. Um, and it takes time and it takes consistency and it takes a commitment. And so I love everything you're saying there. I think it's about 
um, the organization also modeling and asking questions, not making assumptions, right? Sometimes it's the ones who are being quiet that you need to hear about what's going on, right? Why are they quiet? What are they experiencing? Um, and I think the other piece is uh, make sure that you're invest investing and giving resources to support the changes you're saying you want to make. Because if we have people who are individual contributors and then go into people leadership roles, yet you're giving no resources or support to help them on that journey and do be set up for success, then you're actually sending very mixed messages. For sure. Absolutely. And I think, yes, I think sometimes if it's skill uh, deficit, that's one thing. But if it's if it's coaching, like if people are needing coaching, uh, you know, absolutely make that available, because if you're wanting to enhance uh, abilities, you have to, you, you know, you can't suggest it and then leave people rudderless and then they're going to spin even more. Right. So make sure that you're, um, you know, giving people support. If your management teams are thinking that they need to, you know, be better at connecting or recognizing or dealing with bias, all these things, make sure that you support them so that um, can sm small, consistent um, actions on an ongoing basis eventually uh, translates out into into bigger cultural change. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, I never want these conversations to end, but as we're wrapping up, I always want to give you Roxanne an opportunity to leave whatever is showing up for you as a final thought with the audience. Well, I think, you know, most leaders want to be authentic. I think, um, if anything, it's been demonstrated in the last two years, even more so. So I think, um, know that um, it's not something, I would say that for us to have gone through what we went through in the last two years and be unaware that connection is something that we're all needing is is remiss. It's something that I think um, no, no longer a nice to have it. It's a must have now. And for leaders out there, just start small. Like um, don't, don't bite it off bigger than you can chew. A bit at a time, be consistent, ask, be curious, be the, you know, uh, the person that asks more questions. Uh, listen, listen, listen. And if you don't understand, um, be transparent and say, tell me more. If you can start from that space and build from there, I think you're, you're going to be going on the right track. Mm, amazing. Such good wisdom. Where can people learn more about you, Roxanne? So uh, if you want to reach out to me, uh, you can go to roxanderhodge.com. If you want to find out a little bit about your authenticity uh, level, um, in relationships, just go to roxanderhodge.com um, forward slash quiz. We'll have a quiz where you can look at your authenticity uh, skill either at home or at work, and we'll send you a little um, little report that will kind of uh, tell you kind of where you sit with things. Mm, fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today, Roxanne. Well, always love spending time with you, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me. Me too. And for everybody, wherever you are in the world, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.